Welcome to Stuart Group's Real Wealth Podcast channel. This is Nick Stewart. Financial planning isn't boring. It can be exciting, dynamic, and fun. And we make sure to bring that energy into the equation one podcast at a time. To get updates on our latest podcast episodes, hit the follow button on our SoundCloud or Apple podcasts. Today we have Lizzie Hill with us in the studio. Lizzie is an investment analyst at Stewart Group and works closely with our investment committee. Lizzie is here to talk today about the new trust law which will come into effect in 12 months time. Welcome Lizzie. Good morning. So tell us Nick, give us a bit of an overview of the new trust bill and how it will affect all those New Zealanders with trusts. Well, yeah, those those three hundred to five hundred thousand trusts that are in existence in New Zealand. Yeah, it's a lot of people. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's it's a very very wide net. It affects a lot of people, and many people actually don't even know that they're a beneficiary. So, what's going to happen is that the royal assent was given to the long-awaited trust bill, um, and it's going to come into effect on the thirtieth of January, twenty twenty-one. So, the clock is ticking. It's less than twelve months away. And the legislation is a substantial reboot of the current trust law, which, well, is 70 years old, desperately needs an update, and is one of the oldest statutes on the New Zealand books. Wow. Yeah, so the Law Society, uh, in its um, papers over the last decade, because this started, this trust law reform started about a decade ago, Mm -hmm. it sat on the desk of Simon Power. Now, that's a name, he hasn't been in Parliament since, what, 2009, and the original um, uh, Law Society paper uh, talked about the fact that there are three hundred to 500,000 trusts in New Zealand. No one actually has a number because there's no central register. Yeah, and that could have grown since that time, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah very much so. And look, Hawke's Bay, you know, we many people believe, well, certainly people outside the region, lawyers that I talk to, they talk about the substantial number of trusts in this region, probably because of our kind of farming, hinterland, uh, agricultural, horticultural base where a lot of people use trusts for their succession planning and, you know, keeping, um, you know, predatory future son-in-laws away from their <laughs> farm, etc. So it has some phenomenal ramifications ahead for uh, trustees and beneficiaries, but it's all win-win for the beneficiaries. But it's there's no upside here for the trustees because... Let's say for me, you know, I have 12 trusteeships, both uh, in, in a family capacity, but also for clients that we look after. And, you know, if we're meeting the bar, which we are now, there's no upside for me. I mean, it's just, it's you know, we're already meeting those requirements and obligations. But for many trustees, there are significant downsides because they pretty much haven't been operating at this level today. You know, they might have um, a yearly meeting, uh, they may not have even met many of the beneficiaries. Yeah, and a trust has traditionally been something that you look after and you run it how you like. So there will be a, a great increase to get to that bar that a lot of us are already running at, I yes. imagine. Yeah, that, that's right. And look, can you imagine on the 30th of January 2021 and you give a copy of the balance sheet and the profit loss, so in other words, a full set of financial statements on the trust and you give that to the beneficiaries who may not know that they're beneficiaries, didn't know that they were able to get that information, and they, you know, you're now having by law to furnish them with those documents. And they can ask you questions. For the most part, I, you know, I think about it in terms of like family trusts. So if we think about it in terms of a family, you've got blended families. You've got people that 
may not potentially like one another. There's just not that harmony, and they're linked together through the trust. And you're going to have potentially some awkward questions of people asking about historical decisions that were made potentially a long time ago and what happened to the capital, how it was managed, who took what, who's been given what. Um, And there's a thing called um, the ADR, the Alternative Disputes Resolution Service. And that's where the the beneficiaries can uh, hold the trustees to account without going through the courts. Because the trust is for the beneficiaries, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, and I think that's what sometimes gets confused. The trustees think they're running the trust for themselves, whereas really they should be thinking what is in the best interest of the beneficiary. That's and right. yeah, this new disclosure could could give beneficiaries a bit more power on that. Um, yeah, very much so. And look, you know, we, we, you know, we've all met people in the community who talk about the fact that the family farm was sold, you know, ten years ago. Mm-hmm. They knew what the sale price was just through scuttlebutt in the community. Um, you know, because, I mean, let's face it, you know, there are X number of farms, not that many sell per year in a community, so people always want people to... People talk. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, they, they do talk. So a lot of people, you know, let's say if your family had sold a $5 million dairy farm in 2005, and you didn't know the debt figure, but you just were always told that was what the sale price was. So, you know, here we are 14 years later, you'd be curious to know what actually happened, because if that put it into global financial markets, the capital would have more than doubled. Yeah, you would expect that, yeah. <laughs> so you can therefore see some of the potential issues. Um, you've also got it where, uh, you know, I mean, a trust is set up for the benefit of the beneficiaries, both born and unborn. Because, for example, if I look at um, um, one of my uh, personal trusts, and that it specifically references... Um, uh, our children and their children's children, etc. Yeah, so people that haven't even been born yet. Correct, and and certainly, you know, when I when we drafted um, that particular uh, trust deed, um, there were no children even in existence then. So you know, a trust looks it is quite forward looking. So with this legislation get moving from eighty years for the life of a trust to one hundred and twenty five years. Yeah, and it's. 80 years now? Yeah, that's right? correct. Yeah. Yeah. So that's quite a, quite a change. Uh, yeah, it incorporates is. quite a few new children, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Well, it can potentially, it would bridge, well, let's face it, on the average age of, um, the average age of a female um, having a child or being married is about the same now at, at around that kind of 28 and a half year mark. Yeah. So, you know, potentially by adding another 40 years duration, you know, we're going, it's going to capture another generation, potentially two. Yeah, so 125 years is outside yeah, your normal life expectancy, and that is a big change from 80. Yeah. The settler, original settler will definitely have, definitely have gone. Yeah. So with the beneficiaries, the key is once they turn 18 years of age, unless specified in the deed that, you know, they're to become a beneficiary at, say, age 20 or 25 or 30. So for many people, it's not stated. So it will mean that once the beneficiary hits age 18, they will be furnished with a set of those financials. And does that automatically have to happen? Or the trustees, I guess the trustees have to remember? And Well, yeah, the trustees need to remember. There are reasons why... Um, that you would not um, give out financials, and they're spelled out very clearly uh, in the new um, 
Act, which is which is great. I mean, it's nice and clear. It codifies um, uh, a number of things that have happened over a period of time, but it's very very tight. Um, mm. It's not one of those things like, oh, you know, look, so and so is being rude to me, asking me questions about the trust. I feel that it's none of their business. We're not going to give them a set of financials. Yeah, that wouldn't cut it. Yeah, yeah, it would be more the fact that the person um, may be uh, mentally impaired. Yeah, um, so strict, more strict rules around that. Much. Yep. Can you imagine as an eighteen-year-old being given? You know, a page of here's what you're entitled to as part of the trust as a beneficiary. Yes, yeah, that um, there are some potential downsides uh, with this legislation, but yeah, look, a lot of people have said to me this is a gross and in- gross intrusion into their personal affairs. Well, uh, a trust is part of their personal affairs, but the trust is not theirs. It's for the benefit of the beneficiaries. They may be one of many beneficiaries. So, so, so yeah. on that basis, look, it's. People need to start focusing on the fact that, hey, we've got, um, say, a 16-year-old child who's shortly going to be given a set of financials. They're going to get a better understanding of the trust. It's potentially time to bring them into the fold, lift their financial knowledge and understanding and actually, and actually how the trust functions. Yeah, and some extra financial education is always good along the way. It's never a downside, is it, for anybody? Yeah, absolutely. And look, the new legislation is very, very clear on record keeping. And this is something that we've seen has been quite problematic where, say, uh, I become a trustee of a trust that isn't new. It's been going for, say, 25 years. And you ask for a copy of all of the notes, all of the meetings going back to inception, and they don't exist. They're very difficult to get to get hold of. Um, sometimes, look, um, they're lost. Um, there may have been um, the lawyer who originally set up the trust uh, has long since retired or, or possibly passed away. So you've got to go and get the details. And, and look, the new law prescribes what information and documents that the trustees need to keep. And these, the, you know, the Core documents that need to be kept are, you know, trust deed, variation documents, records of trust property. The key next one is the trustee's decision making. Yeah, it has to be a formal a formal record rather than just a chat. That's right. Yeah, yeah. a formal record documented. You've got to keep the financial statements and documents appointing and removing and or discharging trustees. So what it is, so let's say, Lizzie, you were the retiring trustee. Mm-hmm. You would give me all of your notes. Yes. And they may have been given to you by a prior trustee, so there is a chain. Yeah, you make sure it's all kept with yes. within the trust. Yeah. Now, let's say if I was to take on a trusteeship and you said, Nick, there are no files, I can't find them, sorry, I shredded them last year, that's a potential risk for me coming on board as a new trustee because that means I'm not informed and can't protect myself on what has happened in yeah, the you'd past. Have, you'd have no idea yeah. what previously happened or yeah. any decisions that had been made. Mm. Absolutely. And the, the other one, just around that kind of liability aspect for the trustee, in the past, a lot of trustees have sought an indemnity for a decision. Okay. And that would be where you say, I want a specific carve out for this decision because I'm not happy with what the other trustees are planning to do. So therefore, I want to document that that I... You almost disagree, but yeah, it's still going ahead. Yeah, yeah, correct. Sort of without yeah. your consent. So it's just almost. a carve-out, yeah. yeah. It's, okay. it's, it's I like, didn't realise you could do that. I'm just going to abstain from this decision, yeah. and but we continue as though it didn't happen. Okay, yeah. Um, now, that's historically what some people have done, say like on uh, succession planning, where it's favoured one beneficiary over the other. 
going forward that's going to be much more difficult and what happens now is I would need to to get that carve out um, that if I was a trustee I would need to go and consult with the beneficiaries that I am requesting the indemnity the carve out and I would have to get independent legal advice for each of the beneficiaries so that it's not just them, so that, that let's say the, the hypothetical 18-year-old last year of school is being asked to uh, just okay this indemnity. No, I would need to send the 18-year-old to an independent lawyer, so independent of the trust lawyer, and receive guidance. Now, I don't know about you, yeah. but I have a feeling that... That, that is unlikely to happen. It's very unlikely yeah. to happen. Unless it's a significant decision. Yes. In correct. which it justifies that yes. expense on time and yeah, his involvement. Bit, yeah, and a bit of a lay down mazia. It's an open shut case, very, very clean. But why, as a trustee, if I'm seeking an indemnity because I'm really unhappy with the decision, why... <laughs> why are you a trustee? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and look, there's a thing that's like, a little bit like, you know, cabinet collective responsibility. You know, once a decision is made, you're all on board... And if you're not on board, then exit stage left. Yeah, get out. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I think we're going to see quite a few changes. I think there will be a, a dearth of trustees, independent trustees, exiting and not wanting to be a trustee going forward because they won't want to sit down with the beneficiaries who they may not have met or there may be some family issues there. It may be the blended family that I talked about earlier where there's just a little bit of disharmony there between the um, blood and non-blood, and yet they're both treated equally under the trust, of course, yeah, and if beneficiaries. You, if you turn, if you were a trustee for your friend's trust just out of a friendship and they mm. needed somebody external, um, then it is a very different landscape now that it's formalised and there's more legislation around it. You've got to be a party to a proper meeting. You've got to remember that the beneficiaries are now subject to information and yes. they can request it at any time. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. And and look, in terms of those governance responsibilities, and, and look, one of the reasons for having Lizzie join us today is Lizzie's been pivotal in supporting us in Stuart Group achieving its uh, CFEX certification. And I thought it'd be an opportunity today for Lizzie to talk a little bit about that because the whole reason why we sort like an ISO standard, um, like a warrant of fitness on what we do at Stuart Group for the management of investment capital is to give trustees certainty that um, certain certain things have occurred, such as due diligence, proper research, etc. So Lizzie's here, and we thought that's a great opportunity for us to talk about that because everyone's talking about the trust legislation at a macro level Whereas what we do is at a micro level, and it's this kind of micro stuff where investments fail and things go wrong, that is the part where trustees are held to account. Yeah, definitely. So CFEX stands for Centre for Fiduciary Excellence, which basically just means that you're acting in the client's best interest. You're adhering to a global standard, and you're documenting and repeating processes. So we make sure that at Stuart Group, we document particular processes and um, systems that need to happen, and we repeat them the same time every quarter, every year. We do regular due diligence on all providers. So potentially, it could be a good sort of base for these new trusts. Get all your documentation out. What processes do you need to follow? We need to have 
half yearly board meetings, annual board meetings? Do you have a set standard of minutes that you follow? And just making sure that those regular processes happen, they're documented well, and everybody knows where those records are and where they're kept. So Lizzie, how often do we have to go through that kind of external rigorous audit? So we have an annual audit and it's pretty rigorous. They come in and check that A, all the processes and documentations are ready and being used and B, they check that we're following them. So it's all very well and good. One year having a meeting, putting in a process and then forgetting about it and filing it away. You need to make sure that we are regularly using that. So we do quarterly due diligence. Every single quarter we do the same thing on all the funds and fund managers we use, as well as regular due diligence on all the service providers. And we make sure they're all recorded in a central place so everybody has access to it. And especially at audit time, they can come in and go into that one place and it's all there for them. And just gives those um, trustees um, surety that they're not potentially in breach of anything. Yeah. Well... Look, I think that's a a really good uh, place to finish there. The 30th of January 2021 is not very far away. I mean, we just had Waitangi Day uh, this this last week. And so, you know, we're 11 months away. And, you know, by the time you take off December and January next year... Yeah, when New Zealand is closed down. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's looming. And no time like the present to seek some legal and financial advice. You might be sitting there saying, I just... I'm just not sure if I'm doing the right thing as a trustee and and the way we're running things. We'll just seek some guidance. Yeah, get a second opinion. Yeah, and do it now. Don't do it when you return from the beach or the lake or your camper van holiday on the 15th of January. Don't phone your lawyer on the 15th of January next year and say, hey, we now need to dust off the trustees. Take your time over the next coming year. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you're feeling as though it's not for you and potentially, look, you only were doing this to help someone out, then put up your hand, either get some guidance or some training on what it is to be a trustee under the new framework, or potentially signal that you no longer wish to be in that position of governance. Yeah. And for friendship's sake, do that early rather than later on. So <laughs> the trust has options. Absolutely. And... After the recent Hawks Bay Today article, I've had some questions and comments from people. They said, what should I do? I mean, what can I do right now, Nick? And I, The people what? that have trusts at the moment? Yeah, 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 yeah. The people who are in a governance capacity. I think a good place to start is find all the documentation. So where is your trust deed? Where are the minutes? Does your lawyer keep them? Do you keep them? Does your other trustee have half? And just all put them in a central location go to a shop, buy a file and put it all in. Um, Then you can identify the trustees, identify the beneficiaries. Are you missing a deed? Would that be a good idea to go and see if your lawyer has it, check where you last left it? Yeah, well, the the other one I've seen is that people have a deed, but it's unsigned. Yeah, or undated. Yeah, undated. And they're like, someone's got it. Yeah, or they have changed trustees and Mm. they can't find that deed of appointment or deed of a removal. Yes, exactly. And... For our clients, I know that with our uh, client relationship management system, which is like a a cloud-based box that we can store things in, we often do that for people with our trusts and where we're involved as an advisor where we can store things at a central location. Yeah, and we call it a vault, don't we? We do, we do. Another key thing is to identify the beneficiaries. 
So were they named as just children and they are now alive and have names and are eight coming up to being 18? And could you potentially have those conversations and let them know that A, the trust exists and B, that they're a beneficiary? The other one is I know that a lot of trusts set up in the, well, some of them that I've seen in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, where they basically put everyone, including the kitchen sink and the dog, as wow. a beneficiary. And they haven't gone through and checked the deed for quite some time. And because these, for the most part, are discretionary trusts, so therefore you can uh, add or remove beneficiaries, it's potentially uh, the time is opportune now to go through and just make sure that those beneficiaries are appropriate. Yeah, definitely. They change in circumstances, change in relationships. They may no longer be appropriate. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's no time like the present for people to seek advice, find out what's in store for them and how they can get ahead of the curve. Yeah, get a second opinion, review what you've got, so at least you have all the knowledge going forward. Well, Lizzie, really appreciate you joining us today. Thanks, Nick. Really enjoyed it. Look forward to the next one. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this podcast are of a general nature and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from an authorized financial advisor before making any decisions. A disclosure statement can be attained free of charge by calling 0800 878 961 or visiting our website www.stuartgroup.co.nz